Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Have you ever felt that you were living life in a whirlwind, with everything happening too quickly and spinning out of control? Well, today John continues a helpful message from God's Word entitled, In the Midst of the Whirlwind. Now, a second mistake that we often make is this, and it's just as bad. In the midst of a whirlwind, we often make premature and inaccurate judgments about the situation. Here we are in the storm. John was in the prison. We're in the whirlwind. We're in the heat of the battle, man. And what do we do? We begin in the midst of the trial to make a premature and many times an inaccurate judgment. Now, I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, and I thought it was one of the best quotes I'd ever read. He said, a jury doesn't reach a verdict until the trial is over. Now, you think about that. We've seen so many in the last few years and decades famous trials on television, and the prosecuting side makes their case against the defendant, and man, when they're putting that evidence out there, it looks like, man, he is guilty, no doubt about it. You know, lock him up. He's guilty for whatever he's being accused of. But then the trial goes on, And the defense comes, and the defense makes their case, and when you finish hearing the defense, you say, now, wait a second, this is not as clear-cut as what I thought it was. Even Proverbs has a verse that says that. It says, the first person to present his case seems right until the other side comes and tells their side of the story. And so as you watch these trials on TV, you think, no, wait a second, I thought he was guilty, but now I'm beginning to wonder. I don't think he did that at all. It doesn't seem like he is guilty now. But what did Spurgeon say? He said, a jury doesn't reach a verdict until the trial is over. And yet many times in life, we do. We're in the middle of a trial and it's hard, and it's painful, and it doesn't make sense, and we don't like it, and we're hurting. Best example I know of in the Bible of somebody who was in a trial. And you know, we study Job in this trial of all that he lost, his health, his children, his, his finances, his reputation within the community. Many people thought that he was going through all this because of some sin in his life, and that wasn't true at all. And many times we read Job say something that is a strong declaration of faith. For example, in chapter, don't look this verse up, but in chapter 13 and verse 15, Job said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. High watermark of faith. But at other times, we find Job struggling in this trial, and we find that he didn't make an A-plus all the way through either, and uh, he sometimes reached a verdict before the trial was over. Chapter 3 and verse 11, notice what Job said on this particular day. He wasn't talking about how great God was or how you know, how strong his faith was on this day. Chapter 3 and verse 11, here's what Job said. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees that received me or the breast that I should nurse? In other words, why didn't I die as soon as I was born? Why did God let me grow up and and be uh, nursed by my mom and and, and grow? And why, Why didn't I just die 
when I, would have, when I was first born. In verse 13, in fact, he says, For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. Job, in the middle of the trial, reached a verdict. And on this particular day, Job concluded that it would have been better for him that he had never been born. Or if he had to be born, that he would have died on the day of his birth as opposed to having to go through this trial. And so Job uh, is, is making the mistake here that we often make. He's reaching a premature verdict. Now go to the end of the book of Job in chapter number 42. Because now at, when we get to chapter 42, the trial has run its course. The trial now has come full circle, and Job is beginning to see it from a different perspective and to see it a different way. In chapter 42 and verse 10, notice what the Bible says. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Look in verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then it talks about all the sheep and the camels and the oxen and all that he had gotten back. And if you compare the numbers there to the numbers that he had lost at the beginning, he got back double what he had lost. And then in verse number 13, it said, he also had seven sons and three daughters. What had he had at the beginning of the book? Seven sons and three daughters, and they had all been killed. And so here at the end, it says that now he has seven sons and three daughters. The only thing that wasn't returned to him in double was his kids. You say, well, why didn't he have 20 kids instead of 10? Remember this. He hadn't lost his first 10. They had just gone to heaven before he had. And so that's why God didn't give him 20. He just gave him 10 because he still had the other 10. They had just moved to heaven. And then look in verse 16. It says, after this, that is after the trial, it's over with now. Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. And so at the beginning of the trial, Job says, God, it would have been better if I'd never been born. And at the end of the trial, Job is saying, now, wait a second. God has taken this, and God has done something great in me. And you know what? Last week, I saw something that I never had thought of based on a, a text message from a friend that got me to thinking in a different way about Job. Did you know at the end of Job's trial, the greatest thing wasn't that God restored Job twice as much as he had before? I'd always thought that was the end of the story. Did you know the greatest thing wasn't what God did for Job. The greatest thing was what God did in Job. Look back in at the beginning of this chapter in verse 42 in verse 1. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said. Now, now we're going to read what God has done in this man's heart. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. One of the translations says, No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who asks, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Job saying, God, at the beginning of this trial, I was reaching conclusion. I was saying things I had no idea what, what, what I was saying. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Look at verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent 
in dust and ashes. At the end of the trial, Job's a different man. He now has humility. He now has greater faith. He now knows God in a deeper way than he ever knew God at the beginning of the trial. And it just goes to show that many times in the midst of a trial, we reach a premature and inaccurate judgment. I want to say again what Spurgeon said, a jury never reaches a verdict until the trial is over. You still listen? Say amen. Now, there's one other mistake that I want to mention today, and I'm really not sure if this is a mistake. I don't really think this is a mistake that we make. I just think it's something that happens. It's just part of going through a trial. And that is this. In the midst of a trial, we often become weary. There's something about a trial, especially if it lingers on and on, and sometimes the aftermath of the trial, and you think, goodness gracious, will this ever, will this ever, will this ever end? And we become weary. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, let us not grow weary in well-doing. You know, nobody becomes weary in a day. Nobody becomes weary in a week. But as the trial lingers on, if we're not careful... We can grow weary. It j- trials have a way of wearing us down. I've noticed in my life, in certain things that I have been through, it seems that in the heat of the trial, we would say in the heat of the battle, that God knows that if he didn't help you, you just couldn't make it. And so he just reaches down and picks you up and get you through the the heat of it. But sometimes after the worst of it is over, and yet the trial is not over, that's when we we just become become weary. And I just think it's a reality, and, and, and it's something that happens. And when we get weary, I've learned this too. Did you know more than anything else, when we get weary, what we need is a word from God? I've been reading, or I did read a few days ago through Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and I broke it down over several days to, so I wouldn't you know, overread. I wanted to be able to think about it. And I, was, I had never noticed in Psalm 119, how, and that whole chapter is about the Bible. Every verse in that chapter is about the Word of God. If not every verse, almost every verse in there is about the Word of God. And how many times the psalmist said, revive me according to your Word. The psalmist was down and low And he said, God, I need to be revived. I want to show you one of those verses out of the Christian Standard Bible because of how well it says it. The psalmist said, my life is down in the dust. I wonder how many people here today who would say, man, I can identify with him on that. My life is, is down in the dust too. But notice what he said. Give me life through your word. In other words, there's something about a word from God. I've noticed this many times in my life. I could maybe feel like, man, I am down in the dust. I don't know. The winds are blowing, and what does this mean, and what are the ramifications of what I'm going through, and how is this going to play out in the next 20 or 30 or 40 years of my life, and, and what does this mean? And down in the dust, if we can receive a word from God, it refreshes us, it revives us, it lifts us up, and it gives us the strength to keep on keeping on one day at a time. And that's what the psalmist says, revive me and give me life according to your word. You know, the proverb says, talks about good news from a distant land. 
and how that just, it's like, cold, it's like cold water on a hot day. It refreshes us, and it just lifts us up. I, I was reminded of how important it is to, to get a word when you're going through a storm recently. A week and a half ago, my dad and I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, and rented a car and drove to Athens, where the university is. And uh, we drove back to Atlanta, and we got on the plane to fly back to Houston. And we got on the plane, we got seated there, and we got situated. And, you know, normally the flight attendant comes on and welcomes you and tells you to buckle up and put your trays, you know, up, and your seat has got to be straight and all the things that they say. Well, on this particular flight, the pilot came out. And the pilot just stood where the flight attendant normally stands, and he said, I want to just thank everybody today for flying Delta Airlines and just welcome you to this flight. He said, we're going to have a good flight. He said, we're going to be in Houston in an hour and a half from the time we take off to the time we touch down. I'll have you there in an hour and a half. He said, now, when we get over Mississippi and Louisiana, I want to just tell you before we start, we're going to run into some rough air up there, and it's going to be bumpy. But it'll be fine. We're going to come through it. time we get to Texas, it's smooth. I'll have you on the ground in an hour and a half. This pilot was, uh, was just telling us all. He was kind of a comedian, actually. The first thing he said was, hey, are you guys ready to go to Cancun? You know, he's one of these type of guys. And we're all laughing. He's just doing one-liners. And I'm thinking, you know, I kind of wish my pilot was more serious than this. <laughs> this guy's a comedian. But he told us about the, what to expect over Mississippi and Louisiana. And he gave the microphone back to the flight attendant. He went in the cockpit, closed the door. We took off. We are flying along. Greatest flight. My dad and I, I know I drifted off and went to sleep, and I think he did. Well, all of a sudden, out of the blue, bam. I thought, well, we just crossed the Mississippi state line now. And we bounced all through Mississippi. And we got to Louisiana, and we got to Louisiana. I thought, man, I knew Louisiana had bad roads. I didn't know they had bad air in Louisiana. But we're bumping all through Louisiana. It's so bad. The flight attendants discontinued service. I mean, even they said, whoa. I mean, the plane, you know how, you've been on those flights. And I have to be honest with you. I didn't say anything to my dad or, or anybody else. But I thought to myself, and I guess this was just the kid coming out in me. But I thought to myself, I sure wish the captain would come on that microphone and say, we're going to be okay. Please, Captain, now is when we need to hear about we're going to be okay. But you know what? Captain didn't say anything. Cockpit was silent. And we just kept bumping through the air. And as I was just thinking about that, I was, and I really was, I was kind of, I don't think I was praying, but I was in a spirit of meditation. And I just thought, God, it sure would be good if that, if that captain would tell us everything's going to be okay. And I just felt in that moment God say to me, you know what? The captain told you what to expect before he took off in Atlanta. He told you that there was going to be some turbulence over Mississippi and Louisiana. And he told you once you got through Louisiana, it would smooth out. And he told you that he would have you on the ground in Houston in an hour and a half, right on time. And just because the captain is not speaking during the storm, that doesn't mean that the captain hasn't already spoken. That doesn't mean the captain's not in control. And that doesn't mean the captain's not going to get you where you need to be. And I just felt like God, just in my spirit, just said to me, what's happening on this flight is what often happens in life. When you got saved and when you got on board, before we really took off and started flying, Jesus said, I told you that on this flight, there will be trials and tribulations. And you get in life, and you encounter the storm, and God is silent, and you say, God, why don't you give me a word? 
And God said, I already gave you a word. I gave you a word before the flight took off. I told you that it was not going to be smooth sailing, but I gave you another word. I gave you my promise that I would fly with you through the storm and that I would get you to your intended destination right on time. And the word right now in the midst of the storm, when the cockpit is silent and the captain is not saying anything, the word right now is to trust me in the storm and to trust me in the silence. And friend, I want to remind you today that just because the captain is silent, that doesn't mean the captain is absent. He's still in the cockpit. He's still flying the plane, and he's still going to get us where we need to be. And that's the word. That's the word. You know, sometimes in a storm... God will just give us a word. I've been in storms, and God get, just drop a word out of heaven for me. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. All things work together for good. I mean, God, there have been times in my life, God, just, and I know it has with you, God just drops a message out of heaven to us in our hearts. But you know, sometimes in a storm, I've learned this. You have to take your Bible, and you have to find the Word. You have to find the Word. A couple of Sunday nights ago, I was home, and I had read that night in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I came across that verse, the seventh verse, that says, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And that was kind of my takeaway verse from 1 1 Peter chapter 5 that night. He cares for me. He cares for me. He cares for me. That night I was concerned about a little something, and I just felt like God said, He cares for me. He cares for me. I got a phone call that night from a friend, a lady and her husband, faithful members of our church, and she and I have been trying to have a conversation for two weeks, and we never could coordinate our schedules to have the conversation. And so I had texted her the day before, and I said, Call me either Sunday or Sunday afternoon or Monday, whenever, and and she did. And she told me a story that I'll not tell now, but she said, John, here's what I learned from the story I just told you. She said, I learned, and I'm just telling you how sometime God will speak. She said, I learned that God cares about the things that we care about. Now, that doesn't seem deep or profound. It just seems like, well, of course he does. God cares about the things that we care about. And we finished the conversation and hung up. And yet I couldn't get that out of my mind. God cares about the things that we care about. And then my mind went back to the passage I had read in 1 Peter 5. He cares for you. He cares for you. And I thought, you know, and on that night I was not in a major storm, but I was nonetheless concerned about something. And I didn't have it that night from God where he just dropped a word out of heaven, but I did take my Bible And I did read my assigned reading for the day in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I did come across that verse, he cares for you. And then talking to a friend, and she said, God cares about the things that we care about. And before I went to bed that night, I said to myself, you know what? I got a word from God tonight that he cares. Sometimes in a storm... God is silent. You know what I've learned? When God is silent, just believe whatever the last thing was he told you. Whatever he said last, you believe that. Sometimes in a storm, he's not silent. Sometimes he'll just drop a word, a rhema, from his heart 
to your heart. Sometimes in a storm, he's silent. And what do we do? We take our Bible, the Word of God, and what do we do? We find a word. We find a promise. We claim the promise. And it is his word that gives us life and gives us energy and helps us to make it through to the other side. Amen. Father, I thank you today that in the midst of the storm, even though sometimes we doubt those things we know to be true, God, sometimes we reach a premature and inaccurate verdict, and God, often we become weary. God, I thank you that whether you're speaking or silent, no matter how turbulent it may be, that you are still flying the plane of our life. And you have promised to get us through the storm, and you've promised one day to get us safely to our destination in heaven. Now, Christian friend, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I said at the beginning, even Christians don't always get an A-plus on how we respond to the storm. Would you ask God today to help you to trust and to believe what you know to be true? Would you ask God to help you resist the temptation of making a premature judgment? In the midst of the trial, let the trial run its course. And for those who are weary today, would you ask God to give you a fresh word from His Word for you? Maybe the one I mentioned at the end is the one you needed today. God cares about those things that you care about. That's, your, that's God's Word. Now take that today. Go with that. God cares. Others here today, you say, John, I'll be totally honest with you. I'm in a storm, but I don't know for sure that Jesus is in the cockpit. I don't know that he's my captain. I just kind of feel like I'm flying blind up here. I'm flying by myself. And I need Jesus in my storm, in this plane, in my life. I need Jesus. Listen, God's blessing us coming into last Sunday. I don't know how many we had saved last Sunday, but since New Year's Day of this year through last Sunday, we have seen 170 people. We've really seen more than that, but we've seen 170 people get saved and make it to the decision room, the family room. We've seen others get saved who've not even gone. But I'm saying in almost every service, and some services there are 10 and 12 and more per service, people who are being saved. And today in this service... I can't help but to think that there's some here who say, John, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to fly this plane. I need Jesus to forgive my sins. Would you pray this to him today? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm alone. I'm in a storm. Worse than that, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. And I'm asking you now to come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. I can't see you just like John and, the, and, and, and his dad couldn't see that captain in that cockpit. The door was closed, but we knew he was there. By faith today, Jesus, I know that you're in my heart. And I do trust you. Amen. 
For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know about your new life in Christ by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. If you feel that you are in the midst of a whirlwind, we have a booklet that may help you. It's entitled, Riding Out the Storms of Life. Simply go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and look for the booklets tab on the top of the page. There you will find a copy that you can read on your device or download and print out. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.